Howdy. This is a uh, fuck. Welcome to the fail. Uh, no, no, I got this. I got this. All right. Welcome to the Art of the Fail. This is a podcast hosted by Christian Borgazan, co-founder of Arch, and myself, Chris Buttonham, co-founder of OB.ai. We sit down with startups and entrepreneurs or anyone interesting willing to sit down with us. We hope that we uncover lessons and anecdotes, but if not, we hope you get a laugh. <laughs> Nobody likes this shit. Let's just get started with the show. So for this season, what Chris and myself have have done is uh, we've brought on an incredible sponsor. And, well, to be honest, the main reason for that is because we're broke and we wanted more money. Yeah, what do you think we got? We do this for? Of course, you know, I like hanging out with you, buddy. I like hanging out with you. I like bringing <laughs> out in the guests, but we're entrepreneurs. We get with it, right? We got to monetize this bitch. So we brought on a kick-ass sponsor, Stones & Hustle. Stones & Hustle is... The ultimate lifestyle brand for entrepreneurs and hustlers of all shapes and sizes. So if, well, first of all, if you haven't checked out the the video podcast on YouTube, where you been, go there, okay? Go check out The Art of the Fail on YouTube, and then you'll see some amazing threads that we've been wearing all season long. We got t-shirts, we got, we got uh, hats, and you can get that and join the movement at stonesandhustle.com. Stonesandhustle.com. Get your gear, join the movement, and keep hustling. Welcome back, everyone, to uh, to another episode of The Art of the Fail. We are indeed on Season 3. Super pumped to be back. Uh, we're joined by an awesome, awesome, awesome guest, as always. Uh, previous founder of Taxi Me. Currently, he's the founder and CEO of Seven Shifts, uh, Jordan Bush, and I did not botch or mess up your name. <laughs> you so did it right. Thank, thank God. Thank you. No, it's great I, to I be did here. It. Awesome. Um, yeah, like always, we're just going to get into a little bit of a Q&A. So first question, Jordan, what did you eat for breakfast this morning? I had reheated, like re-toasted pancakes that I had nice. from like that I cooked up on the weekend and and a couple eggs. Yeah, it was good. I put some peanut butter on my pancakes too with some like maple oh, syrup. Nice. So I don't know how like weird that is or common that is. I, I think it's probably more on the weird <laughs> side, but it was delicious. Natural peanut butter or it was just... natural, it was almond butter. Got so it. like, you know, oh, nice. Nice. A little, a little bit more protein. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Staying staying healthy okay, too. I got it. Totally get that. Um iPhone or Android? You got the earbuds in, so Yeah, I'm iPhone. Yeah. Yeah figured that uh chocolate or peanut butter you put peanut butter on your pancakes so i'm assuming you're a peanut oh, butter guy peanut butter for sure yeah <laughs> coffee or tea coffee um now more um not difficult but different types of questions how do you balance work and personal life not so much just for yourself but also for your team yeah, that's a tough one. Like, um, and it depends on what stage um, the company's at. Because, like, in the early days, my I didn't have a personal life. Um, <laughs> you know, you you just you're just kind of working all the time, and you, you know, there's like a, I once heard from someone that said like, um, you know, work, family, and 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 health, like pick two. Yep. <laughs> and I think that you know, there's there's like there's some there's some truth to that for sure. But um, what I try and do now, because the company's much bigger, is uh, and, and I have a kid now, so, um, it, it's, it's, it's pretty different. So I try and make sure that, sure. you know, I'm, I'm going to work from, 
you know, you know, eight to five Monday to Friday, when I come home for a couple hours, spend it with uh, my son and, you know, spend some time with my wife. And then I just go back to work in the evenings after that. And then yep. I'll do like some work on weekends. So, you know, I think like just being more diligent about like when you spend time on personal stuff and you prioritize just a little bit differently. And yep. for me, I've been prioritizing my son the most. And, um, of course, but I, I admittedly, I like, I suck at making time for like my friends and like, you know, that are outside of work and like doing like regular people stuff. Like I'm just not as good at that <laughs> because I'm so entrenched in the, in the business and, and hiring and, yep. and traveling. I live in Saskatoon. So like, this yep. is not a major metropolitan area. Like I'm in Toronto, I'm in New York most of the time. And so, right. um, and then now, so, so it is an ongoing balance, but I think some of the best people, um, and I'm not the best at it yet, but some people are really, really good at balancing, you know, work life, um, a little bit more. Um, but I, I don't know. I feel like it's subjective in terms of like what you really consider a balance, right? For sure. For sure. And that's the other thing too. Is there such thing as a, a, a balance? I, I don't know. Does it actually exist? It, you don't you really just kind of, you make do. You just kind of make it, you just kind of make it all work. I don't know how else yeah. to say it. You just kind of, you just, you just get better at optimizing your time. You don't yep. like, you don't like say I'm 50% this, 50% that. Like to me, like it's, it's just like, it's never, like it's on. never 50, 50. No, um, never. And I think like, yeah, I think there's just like, you have to, there's like pros and cons. Like you, you, you focus way more on the business, you know, personal life and family is going to suffer. Focus more on the family, the business might suffer a bit, right? Like the business yep. knows, the business will only move as fast as you know how to make it move. And so understanding that you're, you're, you're always that rate limiter on the business um, puts, mm -hmm. puts an enormous amount of, you know, you know, burden on you to kind of like push through and, and keep it going at the rate that you deem is acceptable. Definitely. Um, what's the worst advice you've ever received as CEO? <laughs> the worst advice I've ever received. Uh, or, or maybe think of something like recently that you heard and you were just like, wow, that is fucking terrible advice. Um, I don't know. I always found like the higher fast fire fast to be like not good advice. Um, and I know that's like, it's a bit cliche um, to say, uh, you know, higher fast and everyone's kind of talking about it, but I, I'm more of like the higher, higher at a medium pace fire fast. Um, right. Cause you know, I've, I've had experiences where we like, where we hire a bunch of people and um, the people that can really hire fast and, and fire fast and like, have really good success with the hiring side of it because you know those people probably have really good processes in place um, that and then maybe they're you know they, they've kind of learned a few things where they can feel comfortable doing that but you don't want to you don't want to create like a culture where you're like hiring and then like firing people right away because like everyone there's like mm -hmm, what the hell mm -hmm. is happening right like you you have to be so yep. cognizant of the people and what they perceive and what they're seeing you as a founder and a CEO doing and you know, um, making sure that that's not completely like cow, you're, you're not cowboying it. So I've, I, I found that that maybe advice just didn't suit well with our business. I found okay. that, you know, I were 130 people. I, I had a, before this call with you guys, I had a call with, um, a software developer candidate. I'm the last stage in the hiring process where 130 people, but I still talk to everyone. Right. Um, and I've, I've said no to people from, you know, um, from these types of interactions. Um, yep. and uh, I don't know how long I can scale that for, 
but yeah, yeah. It's, it's certainly extremely important to me that uh, I spend less time like firing people and, and put a little bit more effort up front to like vet them um, and, and put kind of like the toll gates in place. Yeah. Well, that, actually, that leads to another question that I did not even um, write down here or want to ask you. Um, you're, you're still obviously a part of the hiring process. As you just said, you're the sort of like the last step in it. I, do you ever see yourself being removed from that? Or is that something that you would always like to be uh, a part of? I I think it's I think it's going to happen. I think it's going to happen where I'm not involved in it fully. Um, but right now, I, I've I kind of set up two rules in my head. I meet I eat, I meet external managers that are like applying for a manager position. I always meet them in person as the right. last step, and then I will for you know people that aren't manager positions. I'll just have a call. Okay. I mostly don't veto people on the calls. I, I veto them as managers because like I'm super protective about the manager, you know, hiring a potentially bad manager. Um, we, you know, people do quit managers, like instead of jobs, we've all kind of heard that before. And it's really true actually. So I spend a lot more time kind of vetting those people, especially if they're external coming into the company, because you're kind of coming into like an established like wolf pack. Like how are you right, going to build credibility? Right. How are you going to earn trust? How are you going to do all these things? So that's why I spend the upfront time right now with managers. Do I see myself being more removed from that as we grow? Probably yes, um, it's going to have to happen. Um, and it's going to mean um, delegating more to the people on the front lines that you know can look for the things that I'm looking for and putting people through those same types of processes to ensure we can scale it. So right. if you were to say when, <laughs> I don't have an answer on when, <laughs> uh, probably when I'm like, I can't do this anymore. I need to yeah, yeah, yeah. have all these other things. and. I, I'm making it work right now because um, uh, I'm, I'm worried, and I've seen what bad hires can can do to a company, and it kind of sets it kind of sets the company back. For sure, great answer on that. Um, all right, so I guess like knowing that you know you guys are actively hiring, your team is you know pretty pretty large now, 130. You said, what do you what do you value more? What do you look for more of? Um, hustle or talent when considering um, people who are applying for roles or people that you're meeting with? Um, I don't know. I do you, that, do you value that. one over the other or do you kind of look at like them there's both? Like, there's like, we look at both of them. I think there's, there's facets under each of them, right? Like someone can have hustle um, in, and, and be both like talented. They can be very resourceful. They can do all these things. But I think sometimes, you know, the word hustle is it can be almost taken as kind of like uh like an early stage like cowboy that's just like you know just definitely like, co like i'm a i'm a developer by trade so like i know how it is yep. like you're you're building stuff you're shipping stuff and you're you're just kind of like piecing things together and you're hustling and but you so like there's like a level of hustle that i think needs to be throughout the life cycle of the company i don't think yep. it, i don't think it's appropriate to say that it doesn't exist later on I just think like the caliber of people and the operational processes um, that get put in place in a business later on, um, like naturally feel like things are moving slower, <laughs> but they're actually, um, there's actually just a lot of stuff that didn't get put into place in the early days when I was right. making it. Um, right. And in order for it to, to us to truly scale, um, I think you need people that in my mind just align with core values. Um, and I know that that might sound like everybody says that, but like, I mean, like we're pretty strict about that kind of stuff here. Like 
people yep. are like hired, fired, promoted based on these and they're very like tangible, they're action based, they're in the one on ones every month for all hands. I call out people that, you know, demonstrated like the, these core values. And, and so everyone's constantly reminded, like, what does it mean to actually like action these things? Uh, right. And it's not it's not me nominating these people. It's other people in the company nominating these people. So okay. I just kind of pick those. And so it's a good like reminder and like you just have to communicate like exponentially um as you as you grow things and so yep i think more than just like the term hustle i, I just think that there's there's just like more to it than than that um and you look you always have your top performers um and and you know kind of your mercenaries and and those folks will everyone's kind of required um you know you, you maybe don't want all mercenaries and you know maybe all top performers might clash to some degree right like there's i think that there's like as you as you kind of scale up, um, there's always a. It's it's just interesting. There, there, I don't feel as though there's like a lack of hustle. I feel like uh, there's just more an emphasis on pointing people in the right direction so that they can hustle in that direction versus like gotcha. Gotcha. Being super spread and kind of just doing anything at all times. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sweet. That is my second last question. My last question is. Uh, are you ready to now start talking about some of those failures that we know you have? Failures. I mean, not to. <laughs> I mean, not, <laughs> not 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 to put it like that, but yeah, yeah, no, it is I, a show around fail. Totally, failing. Tons of them. There's tons of them. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's talk Sweet. about them. <laughs> let's let's dive right into it then. Awesome, um, Jordan. So actually, I have a kind of a funny, uh, silly anecdote to uh, to how I uh, reached out to you. Uh, to come on the show, I was at the uh, gym in the morning on the on the bike, and there's you know TVs with the uh, news on it, and uh, I saw you guys getting profiled by CBC, and I was like, I know that company somehow, and uh, and it turns out I think um, one of your one of your teammates did a did a trial of Obi, and so I put two and two with the seven shifts uh, together, and I was like, oh, cool. we should have uh, Jordan on on the podcast, and sure enough, you were you were right there in a list. So just a, just a Slack message away. And, That's uh, awesome. and here we are. Um, so Sweet. for, for folks that don't know, um, who you are and what seven shifts is a really great, you know, up and coming Canadian, uh, tech story. Can you give us some context and, and what you guys are building? Yeah, sure. So seven shifts is a labor management solution targeted towards the restaurant space. So, we got our start in scheduling as kind of like our core piece, and that's where mm-hmm. people use us for today. And um, you know, we we provide a product where managers can control their labor costs, build schedules towards those, communicate with their staff. Staff have mobile apps; they can check their shifts, trade shifts, communicate. Um, that's kind of like the high level. Um, we are building out into the what I quite what I refer to as the employee lifecycle in restaurants. So everything from you know the moment you're hired. Then you're trained, then you're scheduled kind of roughly at the same time, then you're paid using a payroll company after you work your shifts, and then you're retained. So hiring, training, scheduling, paying, and retaining are kind of those life cycle elements that we are building product into. Um, and, and scheduling is obviously where we go really deep, and we do some really innovative things around compliance um, and, uh, and machine learning to, to help operators understand cool. you know, their, their optimal labor and, and how to do it better. So without going too deep, you know, we're, you know, we're kind of, touching on a lot of elements in the workforce management um, spectrum. But um, 
understanding, you know, scheduling is kind of where we started and that that's been our core offering. Awesome. Cool. And, um, I understand that this comes out of a, a personal need watching your, your, uh, your father, um, run, um, a restaurant business perhaps. And, yeah. um, and, and, and trying to fill that void for him. And so the sort of secondary, uh, we'd love to hear a little bit more about that, but the sort of question to that, um, anecdote in your life is, um, you know, how do you feel personal, uh, relatability? How, how important is that to you starting this company? And, you know, we understand that, uh, well, based on LinkedIn only, LinkedIn data only, uh, that you've been at it for a while. Can you walk us through those initial steps and, and you know, uh, how you got to something that was, okay, this is a viable business? Yeah. Um, so my dad, just for a bit of a backstory, because um, you touched on it a little bit, but my dad ran some Quiznos locations in Saskatchewan. And I watched him painfully manage the scheduling process. It was like super painful to watch him manage like sticky notes and, um, you know, he print the schedule on Excel and people like write over it and there'd be white out everywhere. And so I, so I taught myself how to program and write code to build him something small where staff could upload a spreadsheet and, or he could upload a spreadsheet and staff could download it. And that was really this, just the beginning of what became seven shifts, cool. um, which was something obviously much bigger than that. That's really where it started. It was just kind of this like personal pain of seeing my dad go through this. And, you know, lo and behold, there's millions of other people in, in the US and in Canada that, mm -hmm. that have the same problem. So mm -hmm. it was it was started off as just a side project and, and really was born out of the interest of me solving a problem for him, but also just to learn because I love building things. Right. So, right. um, I so do that have must a have personal been... connection to it. So, yes. <laughs> So that must have been like a pretty big pain in the ass then for your dad. Like you must have seen him like struggling over and over and over repeatedly and just be like, okay, there's got, there's got to be a better solution and I can help and I want to try to help because I'm a creator. I'm curious. Um, and then, yeah, I guess he just started whipping up some code and then poof. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, a lot of like, I worked a few jobs. I worked at Quizzles and Best Buy and then I'd go home in the evenings and like write code and program and teach myself a few things and I ended up moving to Ottawa for school and then, you know, still did some consulting there, worked for an agency downtown there and then moved to France with my now wife, did some more consulting for web agencies. And so I was always programming Then I moved back to Saskatoon and worked as a software right. engineer for a few different companies, SaaS companies and, um, learned a lot and met some really great mm -hmm. people. And then by that point, seven just made enough money where I can do it full time. And I was like, this is amazing. Nice. <laughs> and I quit my job and spent a month in this tiny office that I rented out uh, with another friend. It's like 10 by 10 office. Um, and our backs were like touching when, uh, when we were sitting at our desk. And like, it was like, there was like a leaky ceiling and everything. Um, and nice. about a month in, I was like, this is super boring. Like, I don't, I don't want to build something by myself. I, I love a high right, collaborative right. environment. I love teams. I love solving problems with other smart people and just, I love that. And so we applied to a tech accelerator, got into one in San Francisco. So we moved um, my now wife and co-founder Johannes. Uh, they like quit their jobs because uh, yep. I asked them to. And uh, they were excited <laughs> to um, and moved to moved to the Bay Area. And we spent about six months down there and raised a bit of money and brought it back and built it, decided to build the company in Saskatchewan. And everyone thought we were like super, people just thought it was the dumbest thing to leave San Francisco, like the tech yeah, yeah. center of the world. and 
you know, like there's some truth to that, but like we didn't have the money, nor did we have product market fit yet, nor did the restaurant industry really take off yet. Um, mm -hmm. This was like back in 2013, right? So uh, we, that money lasted so much longer in Canada. And we also had the opportunity to shift our focus to really go deep in the restaurant space where we just weren't before. Right. So that's like, and then we started raising some venture capital from uh, Relay Ventures in Toronto and, yeah. um, and then some folks in the Bay Area in the next round. And then six months ago, we closed our Series A with some folks in New York um, that were also involved with Touch Bistro. So we've got some really great restaurant people around the table that understand cool. the space and, and know what it takes to scale and build a really big business. And for me, that was extremely important, um, knowing where we're situated and knowing that we are at a, a bit of a disadvantage when it comes to you know, having senior talent. So anyway, right. uh, I kind of went off on a bit of a tangent, but no, that's, the background. that's awesome. Yeah, man. no, that that's great. I, I'm, I don't want to go too far off topic either, just out of like personal curiosity. So was your, was your father your first paid customer then, or was there someone else who was your first paid customer? Yeah, A&W was our first paid customer. Um, cool. And it was like one location outside of Vancouver. Oh, I can't remember the city or the suburb. It was, um, I can't I can't remember it. But yeah, they were our first paying customer. And uh, they're not a customer anymore, but <laughs> they uh, it, it was it was great. You know, we had, I got to work really close with people and, and nice. get to know all of our customers on like a personal level. Um, you know, we're adding like 700 locations a month now with 20 to 30,000 restaurant employees a month. So I wow. don't know every customer. <laughs> um, so it's, it's, it's quite a bit different now. So um, that actually is a good segue into the question I had. From your, you know, first inspiration to start building the solution for your dad and to, you know, when you picked up, moved to the Bay Area and, you know, got your first check and made this real uh, or, or, or even just, you know, in that... Uh, leaky ceiling to office how long is that time because i think that's such an um a relatable story such an interesting story and one that doesn't get told often enough you know we're you know we're told that the the only way to win is you you launch and then within six to eight months if you haven't reach product market fit and raise three million dollars you're gonna fail so it's i really love that you know raw very Canadian story. So I'd love to, to hear more context around those early, early days. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think like, um, yeah, when we were part of boost, this accelerator in San Mateo, um, yeah, there's definitely like, it, it was definitely way different than anything I've ever seen before. Right. You have all these startups in a room that are just like not sleeping, just building product and like calling people. Right. It's like, so, and I loved it. Like, it was just like, I'm like, these are my people. Like, I just loved being around that and, um, and just kind of pushing forward and, and be like, is it, and they're, you know, people are on the calls with, with people and they're like, Oh, um, you know, that thing you need. Oh, um, yeah. And they're like tapping their developer co-founder. They're like, <laughs> and like, yeah, yeah, no, we'll have it tomorrow. We'll give you the demo tomorrow. And like that night they build it. Right. Like, it's just like, you don't, you Amazing. don't see that. Yeah, and like familiar. <laughs> yeah. And so we were doing the same things, right? Like we, um, and this kind of almost segues into like one of the, the fail topics that, that I would want to touch on too is yeah, we, please were, do. we were, um, we were kind of like three people in the basement, uh, with all these other startups and people were working on Bitcoin, some people were working on like VR and some people were working on like some other stuff. And, um, some people like blew up, their companies blew up and like they like founders like parted ways and, um, you just see, you just see everything. And so, uh, 
we even had like a moment where we just like, we were talking to mentors and like, they were like, Hey, you should go like, you should sell the malls. You should sell the hospitals. And you know, like a few of uh, yeah, like our co like one of my co-founders, Johannes, you know, he's like, Hey, like we should try it. Like, have you thought about, it? and there's like a lot of like questions spinning in my head. Like, you know, there are like arguments that we had with each other. Like, like, I mean, we're like, we love each other now, but like we, we were definitely like now. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, we were just, you know, I think that just made us stronger, those like types of discussions and good, like heated debates over like what we should do. And, um, there was like, there, there was one where, uh, the first thing, the first big decision we had to make was, uh, I wanted to focus the company on restaurants. It wasn't, it started with my dad who ran them, but it, it just didn't stay there. It like, we picked up like retail, blog grooming companies, like right. job, job sites, medical folks, like medical agencies. Like it was just like, a hodgepodge of of different industries and i was like i don't like building products that are just okay for all of these industries like it just i can't and i i always i never felt like i don't i never wanted to be the jack of all master of none i wanted to be like if i'm devoting this much time to a product and like going all in people be it better use this product and say this is like the best product that i've ever used and i can't live without this and there's no other mm -hmm. product in the industry that's better than this and if that's not the feeling that is being emitted from these customers, then it's not worth, I don't want to do it. Uh, right. And so we, we like, we're like, like we're focusing on restaurants and, um, you know, my two other co-founders, they're just like, like, okay, that's scary. That's, you know, maybe that's like isolating two thirds of our customers. We only have a third of customers that were restaurants at the time. I'm like, oh yeah, what are they, what's going to happen when they like go to the website and see a bartender on there and like, a, they're like a dog grooming company or, uh, anyway, um, so we made that change and we, we did like lose a little bit of steam, but most people stayed on. Um, that was a scary moment, but while we were down there, we, we also made, uh, some cold calls. We were, we were like cold calling people and we called this, this juice chain in New York and this, or you know, we emailed him and he replied saying, can you hop on a call right now? And we're like, yeah we can so like always like okay let's get him on a call speakerphone all right hey so and so like he's like hey we're with these guys right now if you can do x y and z we will switch next week and i was like whoa wow. it's like 15 10 to 15 locations i think it was 15 locations at the time and i was like world changing like we only had probably like 100 100 locations on board at that point in time so like 15 15 percent right. of our existing like client basis huge right so um he's like we need time and attendance you guys don't have a time clocking app so i was like okay we'll work on onboarding your stores in like a week we're gonna like we have it's launching soon you didn't even start it but we're like yeah it's launching soon <laughs> and we we like we built a time clocking app uh in like a very short period of time probably less than a week uh of just like grinding out and like and and just like it was like a web view that was wrapped in like the iPad. And so it was tablet based, but it wasn't a native app. Like we were super scrappy and then we launched it and like onboarded their stores and great. They're now punching in using our app. And it was so bad. Um, there was bugs like every, it was like playing whack-a-mole. You just like kill one bug, <laughs> they phone you and they're pissed off. And you just like kill that other bug and like, it just didn't stop. And what, and I will never forget, 
uh, the amount of calls because they were on the East Coast and we were on West Coast since we were in the Bay Area at the time. The three right. hour time difference, like their stores open at seven. So they're calling my phone at four in the morning. Yeah. And and I'm like picking up calls. I'm like, hello. And he's like, this shit's not working. Like, what are you guys doing over there? It's just like, like, oh, I was like, okay, we're going to fix it one second. And I call Johannes and wake him up. I was like banging on his door. He's like, dude, we got to go fix this. Like, he's like, and by this, we, we both have like not slept, right? Like, um, and then, so we're like scrambling and we're fixing this. We're patching it. It just like never really worked. And then we got it to a place that was like somewhat, and it didn't work like multi-location and they were, multi- anyways, it was just a complete gong show. And then we finally got it to a place where like, okay, we haven't heard from them in like three days. Like it must be going well. Um, and then like, you know, things were like seemingly okay. And, um, you know, we'd reach out to them the odd time, like six months later and just see how things are going. And, um, you know, we, we like found out that there was some messaging sent that's like, Hey guys, we're moving to ADP, you know, here's like, and they're telling their staff this and I'm like reading this. I'm like, Oh, oh shit. huge, huge knock to our MRR. This is like, anyway. Um, yeah. So they left, they left us, they churned and it was just like the product. We sold them something that we didn't have. They were, they were like, you know, in our world at the time, that was like an enter enterprise grade type of thing and we totally mm-hmm. blew the trust we just like we screwed up and you know i i almost like talk about that as like a failure but at the same at the same token you know we have a very robust time and attendance app now that's like used by you know thousands of restaurateurs for like really crazy stuff that um wouldn't have been possible unless we were like kind of forced to build it early on right um so and like people are looking at like point of sale time and attendance and they're using ours because they're like, no, this is way better than any point of sale could ever do. You know, point of sales that are about like hundred millions of dollars raised, like building product. And they're like, no, no, seven just is better. So like we've mm-hmm. come so far since that moment, but I, I feel like those were, that was like kind of a failure. But if, if I were to say like, would I do it again? Yeah, I would do it again because yep. it kickstarted like a, a necessary product for us to offer. And then, you know, it didn't work the best for multi-unit, but we were 99% independent single unit operators. So it worked really well for the rest of them. But that was like, that was a good learning experience. I would just say like, yeah, you kind of have to go through those moments. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So so you, you answered my question of what would you do it again, of course, but would you do anything differently um, in hindsight? So I would tend to agree with you in terms of, you know, we, we often, um, Christian and I will debate our, ourselves out of the necessary, um, format of this podcast, because as you're sort of pointing out, you know, the failures aren't really failures. They're just anecdotes and learnings. Um, but you know, would you do anything differently to maybe reduce the pain? Um, yeah, I think it would just be, yeah, like I, I don't know. I, uh, I, I would probably maybe, I'd maybe be a little bit more honest, (laughs) probably say like, look, you know, this is something that, um, you know, what I, what I would almost consider doing is I would, I would explain where we're at with the company and, Mm -hmm. you know, um, still say that we, you know, we're working on something like this and, and, but I would actually like go to New York and I would like work with the team, I think more in person and directly. I think, 
I think building that trust in person is probably more important than like some remote team that's making promises that you've never met, don't have a relationship right. with. It's just way easier to right. leave them. And I think that if we were in there in person, we would have been able to solve problems quicker and um, just not be so reactive. So the only thing I would change is I would actually like to get on a flight to New York and like spend like a week with these guys and just like really get to the bottom of issues so they understand our commitment to them. That's super interesting. So that's actually a good segue into something else I wanted to touch on. We we were discussing before the show. Um, you mentioned that you you struggled with um, hiring the wrong sales leader, and so sort of to your point about would you, you would you have done anything different? Yes, I would have gone in person and and had more of that face to face. You know, is, is there any relation to that with the the mishiring, if you will, that uh, that you wanted to talk about? Um, no, like I think they're different things, um, because like we, and then maybe to a degree, a right higher on that side would have guided us towards that, but we just weren't ready for enterprise. Like we just weren't, cause it was more like an enterprise customer in, in yeah. compared to mm-hmm. where we were at. And so mm-hmm. we just weren't ready for it. And I, I think that, you know, our core was single unit independent operators. And like, to be honest, that's like 95% of our business day. We're still there. And and understanding like where you fit the best in the market and kind of doubling and tripling down on that is really important. Like squeeze all you can out of that lemon until, you know, now it's time to move up market. But like you've got a really great reproducible engine that's humming on the small business side um, that we refer to it as. as and, and then you can kind of look at other things, but you right. know, don't don't try and chase everything at once uh, was, was a good lesson. So um, as it relates to you know, early on for the sales hiring side of things. Yeah. So what happened was we, and I'm sure anyone that, you know, uh, follows SaaS companies, reads Jason Lemkin's blogs and he talks about, I don't know, he's like the 20 some different types of VPs of sales. Make sure you hire the right one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's really, it's really funny because it's like, there's a lot of truth, a lot of truth to the, some of the stuff that he says. So, um, you know, we, for early days, we had uh, we were probably six, seven, maybe ten, maybe we were ten people at the time, and we we're a few of us broke out to a few of our sales folks broke out to go start the Toronto office. Uh, one was from there, and one just wanted to go there. And um, we hired um, someone that looked amazing on paper. Like we're just like, oh my god, like the restaurant experience, the like, the like director of sales at this company and he just like i was just like man this guy sounds really legit i i definitely want to chat with him and you know chatting with him and 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 understanding that sales you know definitely wasn't my biggest strength um i I, i'm I'm typically more product focused than anything Um, right and knowing and kind of like doubting myself in terms of like you know i met i met him and we i was like ah like my gut was kind of like no, but I was like, I was like, shut up, gut. You don't know anything about sales. <laughs> um, and uh, and so kind of ignoring it, and then you know hiring him and um, having him like you know he he would he would um, um, yeah he was he would he would kind of be present in the Toronto office, and um, there were just like there were just like really um, actually I'll go back even before we hired him. We were having dinner. 
and our, our like our VCs, like our that we raised some money from. We had the partners at the dinner, some advisors beside me, and we were kind of like had this dinner with him, and it was kind of like us trying to convince him to come on board. Right. It wasn't like hey, let's see if like this is a really mutual fit for both parties. It was like, you have the opportunity to work with this guy. Like, like I think we should work with him. And so I was kind of like skewed a little bit by, you know, other opinions on that. And we hired him and yeah, yeah. Like it wasn't long after because I'd go to Toronto frequently to just kind of check on the team and, you know, work with them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're, they like grab me one day and they just, they're like, hey, can we go grab coffee? And I was like, yeah, sure. So we went and they're just like, we don't like working with this guy. And I was like, okay, tell me more. So they elaborated. And, um, and I was like, you know, I care a lot about you guys. Like, I want to make sure that you feel like we're learning lots and and you're you're kind of being pushed in a good way. Um, and what it came down to is like, there's just like a really, it was like a lack of skill required at the stage of company we were at and also a culture fit. We, we like, I I failed on both of those fronts. And, um, so, you know, I think, you know, partly his idea was like, I'm going to drive around in my car and like get business cards and, um, I'm going to come back to the office and we're going to cold call them. And I'm like, these are like $20 a month clients. Like, I'm like, what are you like? This is the most inefficient use of time I've ever heard. <laughs> Those unit economics really add up. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like the whole like notion of like gravitating to like, I'm going to get in my car and I'm going to drive. And I was just like, I was like, I don't think that makes sense um and so it was it was about probably three weeks after the team in toronto kind of like roped me in and kind of like chatted with me about this and i just i just had to um he wasn't based in toronto so i had to skype him and i just said like hey like it's just not working out you know we want to i got we got to part ways here and he just you know he was kind of upset like you know didn't really give you know he didn't really give me a chance and I just said, look, I, I don't, I've seen everything I need to see. Um, mm-hmm. Appreciate the time. And, yeah. uh, and, uh, but I, I think it's best that we, and so we parted ways and the team was just like, thank God. And so like, but, <laughs> but then I was back to like, I want more sales leadership in, in the office. And I, we just never, right. never, you know, we didn't have that for a while. And then, um, so yeah, that was like, this was very early days. Um, um, and so, uh, yeah, it, he was an interesting hire, um, nice person and, and, and all that. It's just at the end of the day, it wasn't it just wasn't a culture fit and it wasn't mm-hmm. stage appropriate. There was just like, right. we just you kind of need someone that's going to roll up their sleeves a bit in that case and kind of get in with the team and work with them and, you know, maybe potentially run deals with them to kind of like help coach them, kind of a player coach. But yeah. there was like, yeah. it just wasn't there. So uh, that was... Uh, Luckily, that was like a higher, that was like a higher fast fire fast. <laughs> well, that was actually going to be my my uh, my question on that is how long I guess did that whole journey of his career like, at Seven Shifts take? Like, how long did that last? That was like two months. Okay, and and at least that you were aware of, uh, was your team having issues with this? person like right away or was it only when you had gone to visit them did they pull you aside and were like hey can we go grab a coffee let's chat about him i think they were good at giving him a shot like early on okay and just being like okay like maybe i don't know what i don't know but then it just like just so many small things snowballed you know it just snowballed and they were just like you know i think 
what was the really what was kind of nail in the coffin for me is like one of them one of our her sales reps was like i'm concerned about who this guy is gonna hire like and i was like mm, yeah right. like you're yeah. absolutely yeah. right like if he's yeah. not a, if he's not a fit and he's hiring people there he's not gonna hire people that are a fit to our our culture and right. like, you know what we kind of live and breathe so um that was like a really like kind of took me back and i was like absolutely like his whole job is really to to you know you know, play coach and, and hire for the team and build the team as we, as we see success. So if I don't yeah. trust that the team is going to be built in the way that makes the most sense with the right people, um, it's best that I part ways with him instead of parting ways with him and the three other people he hires, right? Like right. there's no, like, I, there's no waiting for stuff like that. Yeah. Is that what, cause you had mentioned that even before you had hired him, you, you had these certain like gut feelings to, towards uh, some sort of re like reservations. Is that what you were feeling was that this might not be the best fit, but based on what you saw on paper, what he put in front of you, that maybe, maybe it is just because of that. Is that what you were feeling? Yeah, I was it like, might not work out because of that? I was, I was like battling the whole, you don't know what you don't know. And right. I don't have enough, I didn't have enough experience and, you know, I still don't like, I, there's still like, you know, people do these roles as a full-time job. And, and so I'm like, okay, right. well maybe this is how VPs of sales are. Um, and, um, you know, and just, and kind of just thinking that like, and also seeing people around me, whether they be advisors or like partners kind of like, Hey, like this could be a good thing for you, the team and, and kind of like trusting you know, trusting their opinion too. Um, and so, yeah, I just think that that feeling I had was like, it just wasn't right. It wasn't like, it wasn't like a fit. And I was even like doubting it after the dinner too. Like I was just like, am I doing the right thing? And, and what I found is like, I have a really strong gut. Like I've learned that and that's how we've got to where we are. There's a lot of decisions that I have to make granted I'm wrong, you know, for certain things. And, but like, you get to a certain extent because like, you're mostly right about a lot of stuff. Um, because right. if you're mostly wrong about a lot of stuff, then you're not going to be able to scale to the level that you need to scale. Um, and so trusting my gut more and more just led to like better results, better team, better processes, better, you know, we, and all these other things. And we put in like, we worked with a um, EOS or an entrepreneurial operating system. It's like a consulting kind of like playbook. And we hired someone out of Montreal that works with other SaaS companies. And when we were like yeah. 25, because I felt like a little, I felt like we weren't quite there where we were like really having problems like operationally scaling. But I was like, it, we're gonna start feeling them in like five more hires. And right. and by the time we got someone in, it's like they were they were getting like there's more friction around like roles, responsibilities, how we're like really org is like like scaling the org a little bit. It sounds yeah. like silly at the time, but uh because we were like 20 people, but I felt the friction early enough and you know we made a call to bring someone in. So we've had a lot of like these interesting processes in place since we were 25 people um that were super lightweight processes I, everyone is kind of scared of the word process i mean like they were super lightweight and then just as we grew um and as it required we built in you know the necessary things that could augment them to make them stronger to hold us all together right. as we grew um right. but i think like that was a gut instinct to like do that to kind of like feel that we need to bring something like this into the business and so i think just learning to trust my gut was was like a very big learning experience so I have a that that was actually a really fascinating point about the processes. I want to come back to that, but first, just want to uh, ask a quick follow up question because you mentioned earlier about the importance of values at seven shifts. And so, when you had that struggle with the the sales hire, is that when you started prioritizing? 
mm. uh, the value structure and and what was your thought process on that? Yeah, it's so funny. I like I, I like built values around the people that I ended up laying off. <laughs> I'm like I don't I, <laughs> I, I, I I don't want that thing, and I would do like the opposite of I'd make it a value. Right, right. I'd be like all those reasons I laid those people off or like they didn't work out is like the reverse is was the core value. Um, and so that was also like, it was kind of a, that wasn't a mistake. It was just like, yeah, you're, you're kind of thinking like, cause you're learning and you're learning, like you have this group and you go from like being friends, right? You're like all friends and you just kind of like naturally kind of gel. And then the next stage is like, you need to hire more people. And like, you know, it's starting to kind of like, you know, on the fringe of everyone kind of like feeling like they're close. And then you're starting to think like, what makes us like close? Like, what is it? What is it? Mm-hmm. What, what are those things and those behaviors that make us who we are and why do we succeed? It's not because right. we're friends necessarily. It's because like we have a similar belief system. Like we have a similar behavioral, yep. or similar like, like behavioral norms, I should say, um, that allow us to succeed. And so it's kind of like what we did. Um, I kind of stole this idea from Twilio. Uh, Jeff Lawson, the CEO that did that. There's like a, a blog post on first round capital that they did on when Jeff Lawson did kind of like a, an evaluation of their core values and set them. But he, 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 uh, it's a slightly modified version, but we essentially took the people, uh, myself and a, a few other, our, my co-founders, we just were like, who do we in the company wish that we could clone into infinity? And like, when you're small enough, like you, you kind of know who those people are. You're like, yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. It's like you can kind of. And so we got together. We kind of like named off a few people, and we were like all in agreement. So we're like this person, this person, this person. Absolutely, we pull them into infinity, build a massive company, and you know, like in terms of the behaviors of these people, um, not 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 necessarily their skill set. While that was important at the time, like it was really like the behaviors that you're trying to extract. Um, and we brought them into a room with us. And we're just like, hey, guys and girls, we value so much of what you are at this company. And, and we think that you emit a lot of the behavioral qualities that we want in our culture. Um, we want you to whiteboard with us all the things that you think are important for hiring the next group of people that emit cool. the same behaviors. That's really cool. And so we just we had this massive whiteboard and we just like we wrote until like we couldn't see the white on the whiteboard. Like it was just like. And there was no wrong answer. And then we started grouping things and then we voted and we said like, these are the top three, like oxygen values. Like you cannot, we will not hire someone unless they do that. Some of them are kind of like on the fringe, like it's not oxygen, it's a nice to have, but you're trying to isolate, like what are those things that are like oxygen to us? And um, that was a really great exercise. And then when we honed them and refined them and we like met with those people that were part of that process, to like kind of run through it with them. They were like, they were totally bought in. They were excited about it. And then when we rolled it out the company, yep. it wasn't so top down. It was like, right. it was like, Hey, we worked with the people here that we felt were like great. And we worked with so-and-so and so-and-so. And, and then like when questions came up, you know, the, those people that were part of that decision that were employees were like, Oh no guys, like we went through this, like we're, su- this is super exciting. I hope you're excited too. So it wasn't just me being like, this is exciting other people at other layers of the company were like, no, this is fucking awesome. Like, yeah, I yeah. like, we're all on board with this. And it was all other people looked up to anyway, because we selected the right people to be part of it. So um, there was just like this immense amount of ownership um, and, and buy-in from the get-go. And then we, so we established them and then later on we iterated on them. And it's funny, we, I just, we just finished an offsite two weeks ago where we like 
refine the, the what it, like our mission, vision, strategy, mm-hmm. and um, kind of refine the definitions of our core values. We didn't change them, but we like refined right. what it means to demonstrate that thing. Um, and all our core values, like Jeff Lawson and Tulio's, they're all action based. So kind of like you know, there's some, uh, and everyone has different schools of thought, but ours are like be radically candid, embrace new yep. challenges, act like an owner, make every experience an eleven, solve with simplicity. And it spells the word beams, like structural foundation. Like that was not intentional, by the way. Um, but it was great cool. to like, explain it. Um, but it's like, be radically candid. Like, what does it mean to be about? Be ra- it's like you, you always deal in an honest, direct and respectful way. If someone is not doing that um, and they're like withholding information and they're not talking, yeah. like it's very easy for the manager to be like, you had all these things like you didn't say them. And we need to work on that because that's actually one of like, that's what makes this company the company that it is, is, is because like people are always out with it and, and just yep. don't hold yep. any grudges about anything. So that was, that was important. Um, and now we practice those like every day. So it's, it's good. That's awesome. A uh, quick, uh, unplanned, uh, free promo here. Have you ever heard of a company called Disco? Disco? No. It's a it's a Slack app that helps you promote uh, your core values. You should check it out. Friends of mine are the founders. This is pretty cool. Okay. I will check yeah, it out. Cool. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. No worries. Um, yeah, because it seems like a really important part to to your culture. So, um, so lastly, before we uh, before we wrap up, just quickly wanted to to uh, jump back to something you said around um, you know codifying some processes really early on. That's something I, I think a lot about, and and I'm I'm curious to hear your thoughts on how important that has been to you scaling, right? Like you like you said, you went from two guys in a ten by ten to 130 employees. Now it's taken some time, but um, I think that that's often overlooked. Those uh, processes and codification of those processes. Can you speak to uh, how important or maybe not important those have been? Yeah, they've been super important. Like people that people that know me pretty well know that I'm while I'm a bit scatterbrained and, and like product focused and like and kind of like live in, you know, um a land of like this is what we're going towards and to to agree degree that is my role <laughs> and what we're working towards from a long term vision perspective. Also know that I have a part of me that's very like um kind of like a desire for operational excellence. Yeah. Um and and I, I get excited when like things are orchestrated in that way. It's my engineering background. I just I love yep. the the pieces in the machine that turn and then you know move the cranks that actually like allow you to scale um, a business and uh, you know building like building and scaling that is, is much it is largely an engineering exercise um, um, when it really when you kind of really think about it. Um, you know, just people are kind of all the pieces too um, that need to align with things like strategy, but when I think of processes, I think of there are certain things that um, that are important at different stages that we've experienced that you start to like you just start to feel the friction. I don't know how else to describe it. You just feel like there's like something not completely right. And um, it's important, I think, to identify that and talk to other companies like what are they going through what's what processes have they implemented to help with this and try things because like if you've recruited the right set of people they kind of feel it too they're like Mm -hmm. so you're like hey guys like i don't know if you're feeling this but like i don't think we're organized in this way like 
does anyone have any ideas? I'm gonna contact these companies and see what they're doing. I'm gonna contact like some folks and the right people will be on board with like some of the problems because like you have high performing people that want the best and to move the quickest and build the best stuff. So we just, it, it, it just it's just kind of feeling the friction on where you're at and we never, I never had like a lot of mentorship early on. And I think I, I regret not trying to like seek out more of that. I, I largely kind of just went from gut and, um, and it's, it's, you know, it helps a ton, but I think that I could have benefited a lot just by having a good set of mentors too, to kind of bounce ideas off of and, and, and kind of get their take. And I'm like, man, I, be so great to have you earlier too. Um, but I think those people can help determine where processes need to change. And for us, we, we hired a, a guy that was like ran it. He's like ran operations in a SaaS company in Toronto. And we just like paid for him to come to SaaS too and be like, what are we doing? Right. What are we doing wrong? And, yep. and very quickly he's like, all right, meets, meets with everyone on the team kind of does one-on-ones you know, looking at like, here's some things we need to change here. Like, here's what we, th- I think interview introduce like the Rockefeller habits. And, um, I don't know, just some, some like kind of stuff that he had from his last company. Um, and so that like got us to the next stage. Um, mm-hmm. but now we're bigger than his company, you know, ever was, <laughs> um, but like, but like those, those people are really instrumental kind of along the way and it'll be a different person potentially that helps right. you get to the next stage. So I think trying to keep a mindset of lightweight process, um, but certainly process um, is required at every stage, awesome. it's just how yeah. much of it you need. Excellent. Uh, super tactical today. Yeah, I yeah, know. We were all really over is. the map, but I think there's a lot of uh, really good anecdotes um, and stories. Jordan, thank Definitely. you so much for uh, for coming on and sharing those stories with us. Um, I think the listeners are going to really learn a lot. Christian, do you want to close us off? Absolutely. Um, so the way we like to close things off, we always like to ask, yeah, who would you like to see come on the show and just have a, you know, a conversation with us the way we just did with you today? So someone that I, I look up to a lot that um, has helped uh, me in a lot of ways is um, Ian Crosby, the CEO at Bench in Vancouver. Okay. Oh, interesting. Okay, cool. Um, I think he's like, he's just such a smart guy um, and he's super well-spoken and he's, you know, they're, they're, they're much bigger than us. Um, but you know, certainly he's, um, yeah, I think he, he just has some really good experiences, um, and stories to share, um, in, in, in building bench and, you know, they've, they've been growing really, really well. So I think that's someone that I would, uh, I would definitely tune into. Cool. Awesome. We'd, Ian, we'd love Ian to, uh, it is. Yeah. We'd love to uh, have him on the show and learn about some of his anecdotes and failures. Um, Jordan, thanks again Thank for uh, spending the time with us today. We appreciate it. Seven shifts, everyone. Um, and we'll catch you next time. All right. Thanks for having me, guys.